Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Okay, today we have a good friend, Uncle Ralph Neighbor, joining us. Um, you may know who he is already, but for the people that don't know who you are, Ralph, can you just say a bit about who you are, where you're from, and the things you've been involved with over the years? My name is Ralph Neighbor. I'm 91 years old. I've been married all my life to Ruthie. I live in Houston, Texas. I have two little doggies, one named Renee and one named Rama. And uh, I have spent my life uh, called of the Lord to disrupt the, the traditional church and help it become a New Testament church by forming groups that meet in homes like they did in the book of Acts. I've written 49 books and I've traveled the world. And right now I'm stuck at home in the coronavirus time and enjoying the safety of my office. <laughs> <laughs> For the people interested in your resources, where can they find them? touchusa.org okay and we'll also put the website in the description box for people that want to go and and check it out and we we highly recommend people do go and have a look at your resources oh definitely so can you take us back a bit want to take a quick overview of your life quick overview of your life (laughs) and along the way can you say to young people what you learnt because you know, one generation is there for the next, and we, you have so much to teach the next generation. We have learned a lot from you, and we're not down the line. Um, so j- just start somewhere along, and let's just keep talking. I was born in a pastor's home. I began to preach when I was 14 years old in a Skid Row mission in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I went to Wheaton College and Northwestern. And then I worked for Billy Graham for five years, answering his mail and uh, helping with the earliest of his campaigns. And then I began to pastor in uh, Washington, D.C. And that led me to quit because I'd gone to Wheaton with uh, the five guys that were martyred by the Alka Indians. And that cut me loose, so I went to New Orleans Seminary, worked on a doctorate, and then went into church planting in the Northeast, in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Long Island. And from there, went to Texas to the Evangelism Division of the Baptist Convention and got fed up with the whole thing at age 33 and set out on my own to start an experimental church in Houston, Texas. And I've been involved in that kind of ministry of developing cell groups and writing books. I've written 49 books and uh, among them are many equipping tools and uh, so now I'm involved in developing a website called Christ Bodies. Christ Bodies 
is for those who want to actually prophesy to one another according to 1 Corinthians 14, 24, and 5. Okay? Yeah. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I think I know something that you probably don't know we know. You said you were the son of a pastor. How many generations of pastors do you have in your family, in your tree? Well, I'm the sixth, and my grandson is the eighth. So how do you think, why do you think that that has happened? What is it that has inspired one generation after the other after the other to go and be pastors? Because very often the opposite happens. One generation is and the other one runs away. Yes, we had that uh, happen to our number two son. Right. But my number one and my number three sons are both ordained. I think for me, it was the fact that my grandfather and my uncles and my dad were so passionate about the Heavenly Father and lived it so intensely in front of me from my earliest memories that I, I was caught up in the kingdom and never got struggling with it until I was 19 years old. At age 19 in Wheaton College, I began to enter into the study of philosophy, and for about a year and a half, I tried to turn atheist and had a dramatic experience with the Lord that brought me back full stop. Uh, I had decided I had seen so many pastors who were hypocrites, and I, I knew well when they were faking it, that at age 19, I decided I was tired of living in doubt. And rather than throw out my doubts, I threw out my faith. I packed my car, which was the same age as I was, a 1929 Pontiac, and I, it was midnight, and I decided I would just take off for California, and I would just throw out religion and become a secular person. But the Holy Spirit told me I needed to say goodbye to my parents, who didn't deserve what I was about to do. And Dr. Bob Cook at that time had been speaking that very night and had gotten under my skin at a Youth for Christ banquet, and he was in an all-night prayer meeting at the school. So I went over there to tell Dr. Bob to tell my folks that I'd get in touch with him after I got settled. I pulled him out of the prayer meeting, and we sat down on a couple of chairs in the cafeteria, and I said, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm tired of being a hypocrite. I'm going to California and get a radio job, and I'm going to forget about Christianity. And he said, Ralph, before you do that, I want you to say goodbye to God. Let's get on our knees, and you pray, wow. and you tell God goodbye. And I said, I will not do that. That would be one more masquerade hypocritical act. He said, well, get on your knees anyway, and I'm going to pray. And he brought the conviction of the Holy Spirit into my life, 
and I began to weep and weep and weep, and I got my life all straightened out in one flat minute. And I went back and unpacked my goods, and then I discovered the Holy Spirit was saying, well, Ralph, you know, you've been going down to the mission from your college uh, assignments and preaching to the Skid Row guys while you were unbelieving, and I'm not going to give you any assignments to serve me for a while. I'm going to let you sit on the shelf and let you know how it feels like once and for all. And I had about four months when I could not get any assignment from the uh, college office to go on any of the preaching assignments and nearly killed me until I was just begging God, please, please. And the guy in charge at the college, Jiggs Williams, called me, said, Ralph, I have an emergency. Can you take this? I said, I'm gone. And I've been gone ever since. I never <laughs> looked back. But you know, I had to be cured of being double-minded. And the Holy Spirit knew I needed a resounding experience that would shape my character for the rest of my life. And it did. And that, that let me become one mind that never wavered from that point on. Hmm. But you, it, there are a couple of things that really strike me from what you said. You said you were tired of seeing people being hypocritical. So you saw people who were double-minded, and that affected you. And, and I think what a res- that we need never forget that there is a generation that is watching us. And we need yes. to, I mean, it's a serious, um, a serious assignment God gives us with our lives for his sake first, but also for a generation that, that are watching. And to, um, when we see people hypocritical, I sometimes say to people, if you have someone who sold out for Jesus, that's a very clear message. If you have people who've turned away from Jesus or are not saved, that's a clear message. But hypocritical is a mixed message in the middle, and it's very confusing. That's the lukewarm that gets spit out of the mouth. Yeah. 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 And, and the other thing, you, you said uh, a word that we talk about, which is passion as well, and how your parents were passionate, and so you caught the passion. And um, we say to parents, often people ask us to go and talk about discipling your kids, and we say to them, you are discipling them. So why have you asked us to come and talk about discipling your kids? And they're like, you what? And we say, you are discipling your kids. And they say, what do you mean? And basically we say, look, you disciple your kids in what you're passionate about. And so if you're passionate about education, you'll disciple them in education. If you're passionate about football or sports, you'll disciple them in sports. And we say to them, the problem isn't that parents don't know how to disciple their kids. The problem is parents have become more passionate about other things than they have about Jesus. And so um, talking to them about how we need to realign our passion. And so you saying there that you caught that passion from your parents is just a great example of that. Amen. And, you know, I have, a, I have something that I tried to t- try to teach everywhere I go. There are levels of response that... Uh, I call the response pyramid. The bottom level of it 
is I don't know anything. The next level is I know a little, but I'm not committed to it. The next level is I'm willing to receive, but I'm not committed at all. And then the, or this, there is the level of commitment. And usually that's about as far as Christians go. So they may own a vision. But the highest level is when you no longer own a vision. The vision owns you. Mm. And you get up in the morning and the vision is there even before you put your socks on. This is my destiny. This is what God made me to be. And when you are owned by a vision, circumstances will never get in the way of what you're doing. And I think a lot of pastors are owning a vision, and when a better chance comes along to jump to another pulpit that may, maybe is a little bigger or more money, they just jump and jump and jump. And the typical American pastor changes uh, churches, uh, at least in the Baptist denomination, every two years. And that is just ladder climbing. And I think it's one of the curses that Satan has put upon us. Owning a vision is never enough. Hmm. There comes a moment when the vision owns you. And Daphne, I saw that in you from the very beginning. <laughs> you couldn't do another thing if you tried. <laughs> and you're just you like me. If somebody calls me and says, I want you to come and speak on this topic, I say, sure. And, and then I take that topic and I turn it around my little finger and they get the same thing <laughs> every time because I know what my vision is. It's to disturb the traditional community and bring them into full alignment with what the body of Christ is literally in the mind of God. That's well, you, what I'm owned by. That, I think that's why we like you, Ralph. We like disturbers. <laughs> <laughs> but we're giving away our secrets on this podcast because pe sometimes people say, what shall we call the conference when we go and speak? And inside, I think, call it what you like. You'll get the same thing. I'll get it there <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you can. G I'll give you a dozen things. You pick one. And... Uh, you're just going to end up in the same place. Owned by the vision. Yeah. That's the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, people never say. Change. When you're owned by a vision, there are no more changes. No, yeah. absolutely. And, and if you're owned by a vision, that vision automatically is passion. Right. I mean, if you haven't got passion, you, the, the vision hasn't got you. Amen. Yeah, and I guess people think about often what we do, it all goes into the head and it's head knowledge. So I guess, you know, when you own a vision, it's that head knowledge. But when that vision owns you, it then transitions from the head to the heart and becomes that passion. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so one day, um, a, fr a friend of mine was um, 
he used to say things like, I believe God for this and I believe God for that and I believe God for this. And I said to Jesus once, I said, I wish I had faith like that. And he said to me, you do have. So I said, where? And he said, your faith is in your enthusiasm. And I thought, when I'm enthusiastic, you can't stop me. And it is that enthusiasm, that passion, that when the vision's got you, you become unstoppable. People can do what they like, say what they like, try and put roadblocks in you, but it's not going to make any difference. Sometimes they don't like that in you, Daphne. Well, tough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I sent you to a church in the Ukraine, and that passion scared the daylights out of them. <laughs> they said, we can't ever have her back. And I knew more about them than I knew about you at that split moment. <laughs> well, that, I don't think we meet that very often because we keep getting invited back to most places. Yes. That's but funny. Light, light frightens darkness, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, but yeah. but you know, I I think sometimes, like you, we come in with a message that people haven't confronted before, um, and they sit you, you they're seeing things through a different prism, and you're almost having to break that prism before they can see the message that you're carrying. Exactly. Do you find that? Exactly. You and I have both confronted that all our lives. Yeah. But it once the thing is, once you see something in the Word, once you see it, you, you can't see it any differently, can you? I mean, I, I, when we started talking about, when Jesus started asking us to talk about this whole generations theme and the generational culture of the Bible and, and restoring that generational flow, I had always seen that in the Bible and didn't realize other people hadn't seen it. And now I look and think, how did we see that? I mean, it was a revelation. It was a gift from God, but it, I just can't understand how other people don't see it. And it must be like that for you. You know, the great revelation to me that I have seen transform people in this area is the fact that Christ actually literally dwells within us. That is not understood by many people. They, they can't grasp the fact that they could be worthy of being a container for the Godhead, because in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells. And when I say, look, when you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror and you realize that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have all taken up residence in, residence in your spirit. And if you do what you want them to do today, you listen to them and let them reveal who they are through what you are. Are you ready for that? And that just scares people to death. <laughs> well, we, we've, surprisingly or not, we say... A similar thing, except we put our generation to generation twist on it. And we say, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in you. All the fullness. Are you saying that the fullness of the Godhead is incapable of indwelling a child? Amen. Because the way, 
Because the way you treat children, it's like, well, they couldn't prophesy. They can't hear from God. They couldn't. That is an insult to the Holy Spirit to say he is not capable. Amen. You bet. From a five-year-old boy who found Jesus, (laughs) I can say amen to that. Well, sometimes I think they think they have more faith that God could speak through a donkey with Balaam than they do that he could speak through a child. You know, one time years ago when I was pastoring in Singapore, we had four services back to back with a 15 minute break and the people would go out the side door this way and people would come in the side door from the opposite and boom, the auditorium was filled and off we'd go. And the children would wait outside for their parents but one service, the Holy Spirit got loose, and we didn't get out on time. And we believe it must have been an angel that opened the doors with all the children who had been dismissed to meet their parents. And whoever that angel was said to the children, go in and bless the people. And suddenly, all of these little tots six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, ran into the meeting and ran up and down the aisle saying, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. It was amazing. Amazing. Brilliant. Wow. So let's take a little twist now on, on your life's journey. Can you tell us about when you and Auntie Ruth, you used to go out and you used to find these girls that were caught up in the whole sex trade, etc., and you used to go after them. Can you talk to us about that? Well, when I was with the evangelism division in Dallas, we became aware of all of the strip joints. And uh, the Holy Spirit led me to California to speak to a convention out there. And I had heard about this guy on uh, Hollywood Boulevard that uh, had a ministry on the streets. And so I went and spent two days with him on the streets. And I saw a boldness in him that I had not yet received. And he took me into a lot of strip joints, and uh, I learned from him. Uh, he would say, now, look, Ralph, you get that, that uh, guy who's uh, in charge of the door, and uh, you keep him busy looking the opposite way, and I'm going to go backstage to the girls and ask them, which one of you wants to get rid of this mess and come with me? And he would always have uh, an overcoat on. He'd take it off, put it around the girl who was half naked, and I would keep the guy, the bouncer, busy looking the other way, and he would take the girl home where he and his wife would minister to her and take care of her. And so that led me to understand this. So Ruth and I used to do that. And I would go and I'd keep the bouncer busy and Ruthie would go back where the dressing room was and 
asked one of the girls if she wanted to be set free. And we had many a girl in our home, and I, we had many ministries that came out of that. Yeah, it's um, it's going after the, it's going after those that Jesus would go after. I think and your that's... daughter, your daughter, of course, has been called to that ministry now. Yeah, we pray for her. Thank you. Yeah, I often think that Jesus would be hanging around. Well, he did hang around in those places. Sometimes I say to people, or we say to people, do you want to be like Jesus? Oh, yes. Okay. When was the last time you were called a friend of publicans and sinners? Because that's what they called Jesus, because they saw where he hung out. They saw where he was. He saw they were the friends. And uh, people look shocked because they want to be called you know, all the nice names that Jesus was called, but they don't want to be called the friend of publicans yes. and sinners. Yes. And although we're all sinners, so, you know, it's no different. But I you love... You when I taught when I taught seminary classes, uh, extension classes, I'd, I'd go to a city and uh, I would meet with my uh, students. I did this in Korea and probably 25 different cities in the United States uh, for Golden Gate Seminary. And I get these guys in the class and I would say, uh, for every hour you spend with me to get credit, you have to spend two hours out of class. And I'm going to direct those two hours. How many of you want to be friends of publicans and sinners? And some of them would sheepishly raise their hands, and I'd say, that's your on-site uh, on assignment. I have been to all the bars in the neighborhood. I have all the names and addresses. Now I want you two guys to go to this bar, and you're to spend one hour there among the publicans and the sinners, and you two guys are going to go to this bar, and you're going to spend one hour there, and then we're going to come back and have report hour. So I was doing this in San Francisco, and this pantywaist preacher said, Ralph, I've never been in a bar in my life, and I won't go unless I go with you. And I said, that's great. So we walked down the street, and I had picked a homosexual bar. And as we got to the door, I put my hand on his back and shoved him in. I said, by the way, I didn't tell you, but this is a gay bar. And he walked in, and there were three cross-dressers right there, grabbed him right away. Hello, honey. Come and be with us. And I went down to the other end of the bar and sat down by a German guy and spent the hour witnessing. And here he is up at the front, with, surrounded by these cross-dressers. And it's time to leave. I tap him on the shoulder and I say, okay, it's time to go. He said, I'm not quite ready, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> so I went outside and a few minutes later, he came out with tears running down his cheeks. And he said, they're nothing but bags of gas, aren't they? I said, yes. And you never knew it because you never bothered with them. And I have transformed many pastors by just forcing them 
to go into taverns. And when I went to Korea, those hoity-doity preachers, they weren't about to do that, and I flunked them. They had paid $350 for my course, and they didn't pass it because they just would not go into a tavern to witness. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah we've had um, some of that over the years. People would come to our conferences, and then they would come back the next year and the next year, and, and we would say, well, you know, are you out reaching out to people? Are you being a light in the darkness around you? And often the answers would be no, not we've not really done anything with what you told us previously. So we would say to them, okay, well, don't come back to our next conference until you are. And um, because they wanted to come back to our conference, it kind of lit a fire under them and provoked them to go out and start to do that, to go out to where tornadoes maybe had hit and they could go and be a, a witness to those people who are going through um, these difficult situations. Abortion so clinics. Um, yeah, even going to uh, abortion clinics and stuff like that to, to be able to uh, to witness to people and give hope to people. So, um, yeah, a very similar situation to what you're describing. <laughs> well, Ruthie is here. Who is that? <laughs> Hi, Hi. <Ruth>. Hi. <laughs> Who is it, honey? Daphne, we're, oh, hello. We're, we're doing a podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> you so can come I'll and join us. Yeah, okay. One of the things that we love to do when people come, especially, I think, Americans, is we want to introduce them to our Muslim friends who are round and about. Um, we send them to go into their homes and learn to cook with them and to talk with them. And they are almost terrified. I mean, we had one mission team come and the Muslims came out to welcome them and it completely threw them because they have this stereotypical image of what a Muslim was like and they put that on everybody. And it's... Well, and they expected the church to be there to welcome them, but yes. there was no one from the church there. It was all just Muslim community there to welcome them. So it, it completely messed with their heads. But we love it because it begins to break down that... Underneath everything, people are people. And whatever's going on round about, you just got to find that person in the middle of it all and and become a friend. Somebody said to me once, um, would you come and talk about reaching Muslims? I said, well, I will, but it will take me 30 seconds. And they said, what do you mean? I said, do you want me to tell you what I would say? And they said, yes. I said, be a friend have a friend, and listen. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, if we have the mind of Christ, then we have to see people how he does and go the lengths to which he would. Or we're back to where you started and just giving the image of being hypocritical, really. Yes, we have a Muslim family right up the street that we're ministering to. It's very wonderful to be in their home and have them in our home. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm sitting here thinking about the controversy in the USA right now over Black Lives Matter and the fact that the 
typical white pastor has no earthly idea what his black pastor companion lives in and with. And my son Ralph, when this whole thing blew up, he realized that he didn't even understand the uh, experiences of black Baptist pastors. So he spent three days going from one to the other and listening to them. And it blew his mind. He called me and he said, Dad, they live in a totally different world than I do. And I never even realized it. So mm. that's sad. Mm. I've it's always, sad. I've always lived cross-culturally, whether it's in the USA or Singapore or Ukraine or wherever I've been around the world, I've lived a cross-cultural lifestyle like you have. So uh, I, I think I grasp it a whole lot better than somebody who has never left his own culture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with everything that's going on in America right now, and some of that spilled into the UK as well, it's, it's kicked off over here. Um, so we're having similar situations, uh, even with riots and things like that going on. Um, it, the the divisions that have opened up across the nations is tragic. And you know what would maybe be some advice you would give to maybe young people, uh, especially because so much of this is young people that are out doing the rioting. But for young people wanting to be light in the darkness right now, in the in the the situations going on in the US, the UK. Um, you know, what would be some advice that you would give to them during these times? Exactly what Daphne just said, three things. Find a friend, be a friend, and listen. Yeah. 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 It, it, is, that, it is that simple. Sometimes people say to me, um, or did you give them the gospel? Did you do this? Did you? And and I would say until I have given them the right to speak, I don't have the right to speak. Mm. That's right. And so, so well, Ralph, thank you very, very much. That's for why my that's why my John three sixteen app is so valuable. Have you seen it? Mm, I don't. I don't think so. Oh, you, you need to get it. It's free now. It's online. It's in Russian, Spanish, and English. Tell touching, us about it. Touching Hearts. Oh, the Touching Hearts. Yes, I've seen that. Yes, yeah. you ought to download it. Yeah. It, it, one side of it is a complete training. The other side is the diagram that you can sit and flip through when you're talking to someone about how to become a follower. And it's all built on cultivation before any of that ever happens. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. yeah, people need to get that. We need to get it. And I can remember, I, it's the John 3.16 presentation, was it? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can remember sitting in a seminar doing that, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I can. Well, we want to thank you so much for talking with us and for sharing some of your life experiences. Let's close with prayer. Yeah. Father, I'm so grateful that in your kingdom, you have those who have chosen 
to forsake all to follow you. I thank you for this precious family that has found their destiny eternally, did not begin when they entered heaven, but when they entered the kingdom. And now this is the kingdom of heaven for them, serving you faithfully and faultlessly. I ask for a special anointing to fall upon this time of sharing we've had, that you will use the conversation to glorify your name as others hear it. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. Yeah, thanks, Ralph. We appreciate you. And uh, we love you. We love Ruth. We'll catch you later. Thank you for listening. If this impacted you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or another podcast platform.